0: From South Carolina Public Radio, this is the South Carolina lead. I'm your host, Gavin Jackson, and this episode was recorded on June 20th, 2023 from South Carolina Public Radio studios here in Columbia. Just so you know, some information on this podcast may have changed by the time you've heard it. And y'all, just a little heads up, a death in my extended family has taken me away from the podcast again for this episode, so we've decided to bring you my full interview from our latest episode of This Week in South Carolina, where we discussed hurricane season and global warming with South Carolina Emergency Management Division Director Kim Stenson and University of South Carolina Geography Professor Dr. Kirsten Dow. I interviewed both Stenson and Dow on June 14th, and this was before the tropics really started heating up this season. But take a listen and start preparing now should we see a storm with South Carolina in its crosshairs like we have so many times over the past few years. Now I start off this segment by asking Dr. Dow about what effects climate change is having on hurricanes. Professor Kirsten Dow, thank you for joining us.
1: Happy to be here, thanks for having me. I'm glad to talk to you about hurricane season and climate, keep the conversation going.
0: Definitely, and that's uh, exactly where we are right now. Hurricane season is here, it's underway and NOAA is forecasting a near normal season uh, with an El Nino set to develop this summer, though it's likely to be offset by uh, rising water temperatures in the Atlantic. So how do you see climate change affecting this forecast? Um, You know, What have we been seeing as a result of warming in our climate?
1: It's hard to say what's going to happen with El Nino. Um, That makes it really complicated. But the general trend, and that's what climate's about, is that the oceans have been absorbing the majority of the heat that's been um, increasing the Earth's atmosphere, and the ocean temperatures are warming significantly. And that sets up the conditions for greater evaporation. It sets up the conditions for wetter hurricanes and potentially more frequent ones.
0: So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dr. Dow, we're talking about 12 to 17 total named storms. Of those, five to nine could become hurricanes, including one to four major hurricanes. So, uh, a little bit different season than what we've seen in the past, but still worrisome when you look at those water temperatures that fuel hurricanes.
1: It only takes one, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it may mean that we spend less time, you know, worrying about what's happening out and and watching what's happening out in the Atlantic and being grateful for the quality of forecasts that we have available so that we can sort of think ahead.
0: So let's talk about outside of more intense hurricanes when we talk about climate change. What are some other ramifications you and your colleagues are studying that we should be looking at when it comes to ramifications of climate change affecting South Carolina? We
1: built our whole livelihoods around expectations of a certain climate in ways that are subtle like the kind of asphalt we put on the roads, right, mm-hmm. was, con- was developed for certain temperature conditions. The shingles we put on our roofs were designed for certain wind conditions. But my colleagues and I led a report on climate science for the state Office of Resilience. And the fir- the state's first resilience plan is due out soon. Mm. And it's going to have a discussion about the kinds of things we're looking at. So it's the hurricanes. It's definitely the heat here in South Carolina and in the southeast. We already have some of the highest levels of occupational-related mortalities related to heat, and we know that um, those conditions are going to continue to become more difficult. And the National Institute of Occupational Health and Safety is working on new regulations. OSHA is working on new regulations to help us better prepare and keep people safe during those conditions, but that's a big one. And of course, the state resilience report is based on flooding. In these hurricanes, have been wetter to the extent that we might see some more flashy rainstorms and um, additional flood risks. We're thinking about that. And drought, which is also in the mix. Our state, we've been lucky for quite a while, but we've also had some really bad droughts in the past mm-hmm. that influence our agriculture, influence manufacturing. Anyway, that can just keep going on, right? <laughs> the policies and the public health effects, mm-hmm. uh, mental health effects of disasters and disaster um, recovery it's a it's a wide-ranging set of things.
0: Yeah, Dr. Dowd, do you think that we are taking this seriously in South Carolina when you look at the policy aspects of it? I mean, I know we have this Office of Resilience, which is important when it does come to flooding and mitigation and recovery efforts, Um, and that's a pretty big step in the right direction when it comes to hardening our state. Uh, What about other ways that we're approaching this? Do you think that we're doing everything we can to really mitigate these effects of climate change?
1: I think we could be doing more in terms of a real greenhouse gas reduction plan. And thinking about that, we've got some great leadership in terms of having electric vehicles being promoted here in the state. We're increasing solar. There's some movement on offshore wind, which is going to be an important part of the solution and an economic opportunity for the state. Overall, I checked on where we are in the United States and we made a commitment um, to the international community um, as a part of the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change to reduce overall U.S. emissions by 50 to 52% by 2030. And the last last accounting we have of that is that we've reduced them 15% over the 2005 levels um, as of 2022. I know that's a lot of numbers, right? Mm-hmm. So if, if the baseline's 2005, we're 15% below that, but we said we're going to get 50% below that, So to get on that track and hit the trajectory we're really looking for, we've got to move a lot faster. And South Carolina has opportunities to sort of position ourselves to be an important part of that solution and find the silver lining in, um, in the change.
0: Yeah and when you talk about manufacturers especially EVs coming to our state, a lot of them are thinking with a more greener focus too and incorporating more green energy in their blueprints and maybe something that we could see other manufacturers doing too and getting tax breaks for doing so. Uh, Didn't mean to put you on the spot there for a policy response because that's not your foray. But obviously that's something we need to talk about too, not only as a state but as a country. But uh, kind of changing gears a little bit, what about when you look at the UN Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change issuing that report this year in March about some dire findings. Uh, It says that we need to cut greenhouse emissions uh, nearly in half by 2030 to prevent the most catastrophic effects of global warming. Not that uh, you know, if we get to that 2 degrees Celsius, 1.5 degrees Celsius that things are beyond repair but it's, it's something to note that every time we go up you know, a tenth of a degree it really has major ramifications worldwide. Um, what, did, what stuck out to you in that report if you read that report and uh, maybe some other things that you see us doing to prevent these problems from growing?
1: The report is clearer and clearer on, um, on the level of threats. One of the things that stands out to me as I look at it, thinking about it like as a social scientist, is what it means for supply chains. <laughs> and you say, well, what's happening here? You know, The weather's changing, it's already hot. We know some things about that, but we're more and more dependent around people and places around the world to keep things flowing here, right? We've got an important port. We do a lot of export business. Um, We rely on imports to build so much in our manufacturing and when those disruptions start happening in other parts of the world, then we're going to feel them in that same ripple effect that we've been experiencing with other um, different catastrophes, right?
0: Why do you think it's so hard for us to shift our thinking when it comes to climate change? I mean, do you still run into a lot of folks that deny climate change or maybe they have different approaches to how it's being caused? I mean, what needs to be done maybe for people to really deal with this more?
1: Lots of lots of people are trying to understand how we cope with something so big. Right. But I do think one of the important things to do is to continue to have the conversation. For a long time, it was too awkward to talk about it. You didn't want to get anybody upset. But now one of the healthiest things we can do is actually get it out there. And like, let's start to explore this keeping keeping silence on it is not going to make it better. We don't have to argue about why but at some point we're going to have to figure out that there is an anthropogenic footprint we're going to have to deal with it but i would like to start having us think more about adaptation because we make infrastructure choices with 70-year lifetimes right MUSC, for instance as they build downtown charleston they're making investments with long-term infrastructure things and they're thinking hard about this long-term implications and for those of us who are resistant change is hard so as we start thinking about these adjustments taking you know breaking it down you're not going to solve the whole thing with one particular big change but incremental change that can add up you know you start with like a, a little bit of a wedge and you build it up and up and up until you actually I can't do this for my camera, until you get a decent size slope that gets you where you need to be right
0: mm-hmm.
1: I think that that's a little less overwhelming knowing that there are solutions out there that can both help us adapt and help us reduce the greenhouse gas emissions that are driving the worst conditions.
0: Yeah, and its future is still bright too in terms of technological advancements that we can look forward to that hopefully can help us out too. So uh, thank you to Dr. Kirsten Dow. She's a Carolina Trustees professor in the Department of Geography at the University of South Carolina. Thank you. Thank you. Kim Stenson is the director of the South Carolina Emergency Management Division and he's here to talk to us about hurricane season. Director Stenson, thanks for coming back. Hey, no problem. Glad to do it. So, Kim, the 2023 Atlantic hurricane season is officially underway. We know that now. Last year the big storm we saw was Hurricane Ian. It really hit Florida hard. It made landfall in Georgetown, South Carolina as a category one storm. Uh, So tell us again now what you're seeing with this new national forecast for the hurricane season of 2023. Uh, It's supposed to be near normal. Uh, which is a nice change from that above normal seasons we've been seeing. So what do you guys look at when you see that forecast coming out from NOAA?
2: Well, uh, we really don't look at it in terms of uh, our response capability and you've seen it in the past. You can have just one hurricane uh, along the east coast and it could be in South Carolina and it could be catastrophic. And we've seen that happen before up and down the east coast there. So it's interesting from the standpoint of we might see how we might be busy uh, during a certain year or not busy, but really it does not change any of our preparation at all because uh, it only takes one hurricane.
0: And Dr. Stenson, tell us about that preparation. What goes into preparing for the hurricane season which kicked off June 1st goes through November. Uh, How prepared is the state? What do you guys look to do? Uh, Has anything changed this year?
2: All right well in terms of our normal preparations uh, we look at it really from two perspectives. One is from an internal uh, perspective with state agencies and EMD and the other is an external perspective in terms of getting the message out. So uh, in terms of uh, our preparation here is that we've updated, as we do every year, our South Carolina Emergency Operations Plan, which uh, basically outlines how we'll operate in any response. Uh, But we do it in advance of hurricane season every year. Uh, and It's an all hazards plan. And uh, it's just 90% of what you do in, in every event is gonna be the same. We're gonna have probably some sort of evacuation, some sort of sheltering, law enforcement, uh, medical support, and that sort of thing. So emergency operations plan basically outlines all that. The uh, The second piece of it is the hazard-specific plans that we have, and one of them is the hurricane plan. And that's just been updated this year because that 90% for the state emergency operations plan handles about 90% of what we're going to do. Uh, but what about the 10%? And then that's the, uh, the hurricane plan in this particular particular instance, so we've updated that. In terms of validation, uh, you know, generally we were validated last year with Hurricane Ian. We've had a number of hurricane events in the past and our plans have stood up pretty well. Uh, We also have, in terms of the validation, uh, we do uh, exercises. We've had the uh, state emergency response team, which is basically the state agencies that are gonna respond to an event. Uh, We had a uh, hurricane uh, tabletop earlier this year. And then that was followed by last month, we had the governor's hurricane tabletop where we had the governor and uh, state agency heads basically uh, briefing uh, the governor on their actions that they're gonna take during the different phases that we'd have to go through. And then also uh, the, any challenges or issues that, that we might have to be concerned with. There's nothing terribly new this year that's different. Uh, it's just an update of the plans, but we don't have any new doctrinal changes. Uh, But I would mention that uh, we have an ongoing hurricane evacuation study right now and that we are uh, working through that in terms of uh, an analysis of several areas, including vulnerability, uh, behavioral, uh, and transportation. Uh, And that will probably drive some changes next year, not this year, but probably next year as we finish that study. Well, from an external standpoint, uh, trying to get the word out in terms of uh, personal preparedness message Uh, We have the hurricane guide that we uh, push out every year. Uh, We have a very uh, active social media presence uh, on social media trying to get everybody to be prepared and kind of work through that process. So that's an ongoing uh, effort and we will continue that not just through the season, but after the season as well.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, the SCEMD Twitter is quite a treat. We all uh, enjoy them getting the message out in unique ways. But, Kim, I want to ask you a little bit about uh, when we talk about evacuations and lane reversals and all those things that happen when we get closer to the possible impact of a storm. It's kind of rare, but we've seen them over the past years with several storms hitting our state, affecting our state. Can you tell us what goes into issuing an evacuation order and when it comes time to make lane reversal decisions?
2: There's a couple of. Principal parts to that process. Uh, One is that we have a disaster intelligence group that meets and uh, takes all the science and all the intelligence information, and then provides the group the information that they'll need from a a scientific standpoint, if you will. That group, uh, of course, the state agencies, and you know, of course, with EMD here, but it also includes the uh, county emergency managers and you know what they're information needs are in terms of making recommendations. So collectively we'll all get that information and then we will meet on a regular basis and jointly uh, hopefully get some level of consensus and we have in the past without too much of a problem and then make a recommendation to the governor. So it's a group effort based on science, uh, the best information we have uh, and then we make a recommendation to Governor McMaster.
0: So how have we changed over these years? We've seen all these storms come and hit our state. We've had a lot of economic impact and loss as a result. What about, have we gotten any better in your opinion? Have we invested to harden our state uh, from these storms, specifically these hurricanes over these years?
2: Well, I think definitely there's, there's been some mitigation uh, efforts that's ongoing, not just in the, uh, along the coast, but uh, throughout South Carolina. One of the, the big threats that we have is uh, certainly the inland flooding threat and we've seen most of our fatalities come from that. We've not had anybody, to my knowledge, that's been a fatality as a direct result of the surge, but inland flooding has been been certainly an issue along the, those lines. But our baseline plans have not changed a whole lot. We do think that there'll be, with this hurricane evacuation study, that there'll be some uh, redefined evacuation areas. We need to look for the middle ground there in terms of determining where the most at-risk areas are, versus over-evacuating. And if you over-evacuate and people don't have to evacuate, but they did, then you run into the compliance issue. So we we need to be more flexible in that. So we're we're trying to look at maybe redefining some of those areas. And I think next year we'll find that uh, there will be some more flexibility in those evacuation areas. So I think that's one thing that we've learned Over the last several years.
0: Now what about some tips for folks to prepare for for hurricane season? What should they be doing now? Uh, There's no active threat against the state at this point so probably a good time to start preparing and think about this. What should folks be doing?
2: Well the first thing that we would recommend is everybody go to our website at SCEMD.org and it's got a wealth of information discussing preparatory actions that we recommend everybody take heed of and do. And it's, again, not just uh, hurricanes, but it's pretty much you know all hazards on that end, but certainly looking at that. We also have our hurricane guide, which goes into great specifics in terms of what you can do before, during, and after a hurricane event. We have an online version of that at hurricane.sc. That's hurricane.sc. And it's basically a little bit more interactive and it's not in a paper format, it's digital. And you can pull that up uh, you know, on your, uh, on your smartphone. Uh, So certainly would recommend that people do that. I guess bottom line is we recommend everybody be their own personal emergency manager, know what threats that they're gonna have in their particular area, and then how they would react to that, and if they have to evacuate, uh, have a place to go and and a plan to get there.
0: A good bit of personal responsibility on everyone this hurricane season. When's the most active time, Kim, when when we see things ramp up? I feel like the fall is like when we always see that first week of October's kind of been notorious recently for a lot of activity.
2: Well, and that's I think uh, from my perspective, and the science certainly bears this out. Probably for us, September and October are probably the busier ones. We can have one, you know, next week, and we could have one probably in December after uh, hurricane season is over. But typically, September October time frame is probably the busiest and most active.
0: Thanks for listening to the pod, y'all. You can always show us your appreciation by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or a voicemail at 803-563-7169. You can also stay up to date with the latest news on SCETV.org and SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org. And don't forget to support your local newspapers. For the South Carolina lead, I'm Gavin Jackson. Be well, South Carolina. I own electricity.